Welcome back, followers. On this episode, we've got Chris White. He is a combat Marine. He is a police officer in an inner city, a yoga teacher, a yogi, a father of two girls, and a black man. We literally talk about everything on this episode, um, or on this this two-part episode, I should say, because the conversation lasted three hours, and I'm not kidding. It could have gone for three hours more. It was so good. Um, we just we kind of asked him everything and you can kind of hear in the conversation the complexity of the topic because all three of us honestly like contradict ourselves a couple times or we say something and then we kind of talk walk back on it and try to rephrase and there's long pauses there's a lot of deep thinking and processing that's going on actively in this episode and um you know I was listening to another podcast this week and they were saying um, it was Sam Harris's podcast, and he said, sometimes when we talk about difficult topics like Black Lives Matter, there's like these tripwires in our brains, right? Where somebody says something or, and it hits the tripwire in your brain, and it's like a booby trap where then you want to fight back or you get angry or you want to, um, you get aggravated, right? And so that might happen when you're listening to this. The tripwires might get hit. And I encourage you to really listen with open ears and open hearts. And Kristen and I mentioned this in our talk journal that we released earlier this week or, or last Wednesday that, um, you know, if there's ever anything that you want us to cover more of or you want us to talk about more or you feel like we can do better, always feel free to private message us on Instagram or email us directly. So our Instagram is following the podcast and then our email is following the podcast at gmail.com. We are all about having healthy and open conversation and um, creating a space for healing. So that's what this podcast is all about. That being said, while I am the tech person on this podcast, that does not mean that I know everything or I know what I'm doing. Um, and it showed in this episode because I we had our plan A recording and we always try to do a plan B, a backup recording, which is usually a voice memo on my iPhone. And um, our plan A recording, which was on Zoom, did not work out. So we had to use our backup recording for this this episode, this two-part episode. Um, so the the first couple minutes were cut out because I didn't actually remember to start the, the backup recording until a few minutes in. But really all you're missing is me kind of introducing Chris and saying why this is an important topic for me. So... Um, I have kind of touched on this before, but my last relationship was with a police officer. And so when we talk about cops and everything that they do and what they should and shouldn't be doing and police reform and, and this whole huge, massive topic, um, it is something that, that's close to my heart because I have so much respect for my ex-boyfriend and for his friends and um, the people that he works with. And I have so much respect for police in general because of knowing him and the things that he would tell me about his job and what he's seen and experienced and dealt with um, and the, the measures that he's taken to be prepared for anything. So it's just really important to me that we have this conversation and we try to do it right. Just like it's really important to me that we have conversations with activists like Shanoa Williams, with mothers like Jen Wilson, um, to hear their different perspectives because I have no idea what it's like to be a black person. I have no idea what it's like to be a cop. 
I've never had to walk in their shoes. So um, I, I hope that we all can listen to this with open ears and open hearts and learn something new and maybe pose new questions and maybe figure out ways that we can all do better as a society and work together. Because really, I think that's the best way to initiate change is by working together. And, you know, it takes a village. So without further ado, here is Chris White answering my question about what got him here, what got him to the point of being a police officer in an inner city. Um, what, is, what were his experiences with cops growing up? Um, what were his impressions of cops before he became one? So here we go. memory of police officers they weren't bad until I became more of a teenager and they still weren't bad I was just sort of following suit with the community of not necessarily respecting or caring for the police um, because that area I, the era I grew up in you know you had movies like do the right thing you had uh, incidents where the Rodney King uh, incident happening um, there were some other incidents um, so for me uh, police officers and what they represented uh, was thought of more so as an organized Ku Klux Klan. No mistake about it, right? Mm -hmm. So they weren't necessarily there to take care of the black community. And so to be a part of that, if you were black, you were thought of as someone who sold out because you weren't embracing and understanding what we went through as a people to now do what they are doing. They are there sort of to control, um, to uh, whatever, um, to, to, to prevent you from uh, succeeding in life. Like they're there necessarily to bring more um, uh, dysfunction or, or, or discouragement. Nothing positive uh, was sort of represented the older I got as a teenager. That's sort of how the police came about. That's what you looked at them as. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so for me, that whole thing um, to, to where I am right now, looking back and bringing it to now, you go, whoa, how did I get to this point? Like where, how am I now a police officer? And so uh, for me, I, I wasn't as certain what I want to do uh, in a professional uh, setting as far as career. And uh, because I wasn't sure I thought the Marines, having uh, an uncle in the Marines and also a state trooper, I went to a career fair in high school and saw some state troopers. And uh, they basically said, hey, kid, if you want to be a state trooper, and here I am again. Now, this is high school. This is different. Now, I, I see the violence, and I sort of know it. Uh, because I had someone, a relative, that was sort of associated with the police. It still sort of intrigued me. And I think it was the ability to um, uh, to be out there in the front to help mm -hmm. lead, even though I didn't see them as a helping force. And I think if I were to be completely honest and show vulnerability, maybe I thought you know it was a power what they had and what they could do. Yeah. Right? Maybe that was in the back of my mind subconsciously why that sort of drew me in that direction. So these state troopers there, they, they had a K nine and says, "Hey, kid, if you really want to become a state police, join the Marine Corps." Whatever you need, the Marine Corps will sort of instill in you from discipline to the physical fitness to come out and do this job. And I actually took that to heart. And that sort of that's what led me, the person who had no 
interest to being a police officer went. So uh, I was all over the place, right? Um, As any teenager again, would be, right? Every teenager is like that. I, None of us know what we want. Right. I still don't know what I want. No. <laughs> Which is, it's kind of a big ask, right? To say, if you want to be a state cop, join the Marines? Like, that seems a little... <laughs> yeah. Seems a little... Uh, there's a jump there that I don't know what... You know, it was, um, but when you're so um, indecisive um, and not sure where you want to go, but uh, the picture of success was his family member, right? So I did know he was successful and he had all the attributes of someone that I wanted to emulate and, and knowing uh, the organization he represented, I thought, well, at best, this is something I know is a sure shot to becoming a successful person, specifically a black person, right? Mm -hmm. So I think at the end of the day, that was on the back of my mind. So I chose to go that route. And oh boy, oh boy. <laughs> uh, and that's when the, the journey into who I am right now, uh, having the ability to be so open-minded and the experiences uh, from fatherhood to being like the only black person in places around the world uh, with small units, uh, uh, everything. I think it sort of formed how I created who I am today. But that that sort of uh, made me think, um, now as a Marine, where do I want to go from the Marine Corps? And uh, so I was fortunate enough to become a Marine Corps recruiter to come back to Connecticut. So when you're in recruiter school, the idea is to send you back to where you came from because you should have rapport, right, with that city or town, and you can be effective. So let's send you back to where you're from, and, and you do what you can. You should know people. You should, you should feel a little bit more comfortable. You should make this happen. Uh, needless to say, I was very successful at that. I was married to us promoted. So it worked for me, uh, being a people person, just being out there. That, that really helped me. But being home gave me the opportunity to jump ship. They go, hmm, now I'm at this place where I need to realist. And this was to start a third term, if you will, a third um, enlistment with the Marine Corps or to get out. Uh, and so for me, I, I went out in faith. I had a really close friend who, who passed away. Uh, he was a Meriden police officer and he was in a certain academy. He was in the police academy. And so during the process of realizing that I need to make a decision, if this is the time to do it. I was involved in a state police academy. Uh, and then I went to another department as I was um, in the process, just to, just for backup, right? Just, just in case this, this uh, my first choice uh, didn't go through, I had this backup police department. And so it, <laughs> so what ended up happening was that backup police department called me first. Uh, and so then I found myself with that department uh, and, and here we are, right? Um, and it was weird because it was inner city and, and, and I grew up in the inner city and I wanted nothing to do with that. Again, my views were skewed by not really personal experiences, but things I saw, interactions where I, I saw friends and other people. Uh, you know, the cops really just didn't represent this. I'm here to protect you by. Yeah. You know what I mean? It just it, it, it wasn't. And um, as a cop now and just jumping, I'll come back to it. But even now, you know, you see parents and people, 
oh, there's the cop, you better be good, he's gonna take you away. So that's already now rooting this, that no. I'm here to take you away because you're being bad. That's not our role. Yeah. Right? So whenever you sort of mess up or make a mistake, it's not that we're there to take you away, we're sort of just there to enforce the laws. Laws that are already written, which we'll touch on this later, right, that we enforce. Right. Uh, and I think police officers, and we'll come back to this later, are the fall guys for the laws yeah. that are already written. I yeah. never thought the of that. Of those laws that Absolutely. we have nothing to do with. Absolutely. Um, that, that uh, I think, um, I don't know if this is jumping too far or whatever, but that feels like as a military spouse, and like, mm-hmm. I, I know it's National Guard, so it's not full-time Army, but like there's still things that, you know, your ultimate leader in charge you have no control over who that is you have no control over the orders that you're given but you're asked to do this you're playing out somebody else's right it can be an agenda right right i mean but i don't want to get too deep or veer too far away from what is true and what we're here to talk about but it feels that way too like i i've felt that even just in a military sense you know listening to my husband some of the things that he says or some of the things that we believe as a family that you know we we're just quiet about because we don't feel that that is our place to say knowing that we also are representing the military when we speak so um it's all i think it's it's interesting what you just said i never ever thought of it until you said it that police are just there not deciding the laws but to enforce the laws which makes complete sense but just hearing it out loud makes a big difference. Yeah, that's what I thought about when I watched when I watched the Thirteenth and how they, you know, criminalized certain things worse than like crack cocaine worse. And I'm like, the cops are. I mean, now they're told this is worse, so enforce this. And and disciple. Obviously, it's a racist policy, right? But that's which is a whole, probably a whole nother discussion. But I don't. Yeah, I mean, let's let's just be honest, right? So. Crack cocaine, that era, lock them up. Um, they can be strung out, you know, high as God knows what, high as a kite, but if you found them, they were going to jail because they were high, right? That mm-hmm. was the crack cocaine era. Heroin, generally more white folks, it is now a problem, a disease. They can have the heroin on them, mm-hmm. not be arrested, let's send them to the hospital for care. Yeah, right? yeah, and give so them Narcan. And being a police officer, yeah. sort of knowing being a little older, I go, hmm, okay, yeah, I get it. Now, because it affects you and your people, now right. let's put some little uh, um, uh, problem solving to this. Right. But when it was black folks, it was easier to just haul them off the jail. Right. Drugs are illegal. You're participating in drugs. You're going to jail. Right. And so you can see that transition to where we are now with the heroin. Uh, epidemic and what's happening, which is completely, it's sad. Um, but you can definitely see the change. If you're open-minded, you can sit back and look at it and be sincere. Uh, there's a lot of hurt and pain for everyone that's involved with this whole thing. Mm-hmm. You just got to accept some things. And a lot of times people just don't want to accept a lot of things. Like what things? That's, that's from all stages, right? All walks of life, every walk of life. What things do you feel like people need to, need to accept? Hmm. And what in what capacity? Like, uh, well, well, I guess I'm trying to dig a little deeper into what you're saying. Do you mean that there are things that police officers need to accept, or things that the general public just need to accept? Like that there are there is this systemic racism, right? Especially if you look at the the 
60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, early to, you know, like, especially with right. the policies, then that now right. our prison system is just insane, right? right? And right. and it is almost like the police are like the, they're like the poster child, right, for all of these bad policies, because they're the people that are told to enforce them. And it's not, you know, and I, and it's, it's something that I think is really hard to talk about and uncomfortable to talk about, because it, like, I don't want to come off like I'm trying to ex- excuse or trying to cover up any poor police behavior because obviously mm-hmm. we don't, police brutality is a real thing. It does happen and it's awful and it shouldn't happen. But like, what do we do? How do you, what do we do to prevent that, to change that? Like, I think a lot of it comes from, which we try to avoid getting political on this podcast, right? But it's really difficult with topics like this. Um, so I don't know, I guess laws are made, right? Like that's not even, that's just truth, right? We're not trying to say we like or dislike that laws are made and they are usually made to protect certain people and interests, right? It's usually those two, like who are the people that this law was made for usually, right? Any, any action is a reaction. So who is it made for and who are we protecting them from? Absolutely. And Absolutely. what are, or what are we protecting them from? Right. Absolutely. Uh, uh, Danny, you said a lot and there's so many things I'm going to touch on. Um, but just because Kristen's thought is sort of right there, I will say with the law situation for police officers, my thing is this, just because you can, doesn't mean you should, mm. right? Maybe I have the right by law to use deadly force. Right. But do I really have to, right? And so I can't speak for another police officer, and I and I won't. And I don't know what um it's in their head. And and I was I wasn't gonna bring this up. But I myself was uh, involved in an officer involved shooting, so I know what it really feels like to pull the trigger as a last resort, mm-hmm. um, saving someone's life, uh, and then everything that comes out of that. It was very painful, and I still sort of battle with the uh, trauma um, from yeah. it, but. Um, Every city, every state, town, uh, when it comes to policing, is so different. Um, so when we talk about police brutality and these things, it's a matter of so the the, the policy, uh, training. Um, I don't think. I think ninety nine percent of police officers are are really there to do the right thing, for whatever reason. Uh, but we have to understand, I think, um, police officers, if I wanted to say what people should know is that we're human beings. Mm-hmm. Um, and I saw something a while back. Uh, I was on Instagram, I was looking at a video, and it spoke about people being placed on a pedestal. And I don't know if people realize this or not, but when you put someone on a pedestal, you sort of idolize them. And so when they make a mistake, excuse me, make a mistake, their fall is not as... Um, uh, Forgivable? Right. It's not received well because you placed them there. And people may not want to admit it or not, but to some degree, they put police officers on a pedestal because what we do in terms of going in dangerous situations, knowing that we may not come up there, you're believed to be held to a higher standard. And because of this, you somehow realize, hey, we're human. And at the end of the day, we may have political 
different political views. We may eat different foods. We may like different music. Um, and you just sort of forget that, you know, we're not this robot per se that just goes in, uh, like we don't have our own emotions. Uh, and that's, that's something important. I'm really with, with the, our experience with yoga when it comes to emotions that police officers dealing with that, right? So a lot of them don't really check in with it. And we'll talk about that later. Um, that brings us, and so that's, that's, it's hard to answer. Like you couldn't give a one phrase or sentence answer regarding police brutality and things of that nature. It's a matter of training. It's a matter of that officer. You don't even know why that officer became an officer. Maybe an officer saved his life. And so his journey was he wanted to do that. Uh, he, uh, he or she wanted to do that. That's why they're doing the job. And I said 99.9% because maybe that's the, it's a percentage who sincerely go to different or certain departments to cause harm and to maybe want to shoot someone, right? I, I hate to say it, but maybe that's what they want to do. Right? Well, I mean, or evil her. exists, right? Evil exists. Yeah. And it could exist, and and it could exist in your doctors, any any profession. Absolutely, I'm glad you said that because people seem to forget about everything else. With teachers, and exactly what I was gonna say. As a school teacher, like I I know that most of the kids when they see you out in public, it's just like, whoa, wait a second, you're out in the real world. You're a human. You have a life. I'm not so sure I like this. And I can think of a teacher, like, um, I don't even, I'm sure there's more backstory, but again, we, we are see, we only see part of the story in, in any case, right? But I remember a teacher in her Facebook, and I don't know this, but this was a news story. She had her wine glass in her Facebook profile picture, and she was terminated because she was a teacher, and she shouldn't be drinking wine in a public setting, like in a public forum, so like her students could see that. And it's like, I guess... Like she's a human. She's over the I, legal age. Yeah. She's allowed to be doing this thing. It's it. She was literally in Italy holding the glass of wine. It wasn't like she was doing shots off of someone's <laughs> belly on a bar. Like, and I'm not. She can do that if she really wants to, or he can, or whoever can. But it's that idolization, which is what you're saying. Is like I. I'm already like my mind is like oh my gosh. Never thought of these perspectives. Yeah. And I um, remember sitting down with someone like super close to me. And they started talking about, you know, I said, like, hey, did you see the video? You know, I think we all know the George Floyd video. And the first thing the person said to me was, yeah, they really need to train police officers better. And I was like, I wanted to shake this person and I wanted to jump out of my skin. But I was like, just listen, just listen, just listen. And I think that's part of what you're talking about, too, is like, to me, it was the the life that was taken, the lives that have been taken, the oppression and like the upsetness that I feel that there it's completely inexcusable what that, what the officer, I don't want to say that person, the officer did. But right. then I, I was like, you know what, chill out. And, and there is a lot of, you know, this, the defunding the police and so on is coming out and you do real, but you realize now like how much police officers do have to do why are they social workers why are they going and and doing all of these extra roles and and how can how can they be better trained in what they they need to do which is protect everyone and serve the community right and serve the community in an equal way so That, that was a lot. There's probably a lot of things wrapped up in there. I don't know if it made any sense, but... <laughs> I 
mean, because I the thought of um, like defunding police stuff, uh, like that that whole argument is absolutely ridiculous. But I, I understand it, and I know what they mean. That I like to interpret that as meaning reform, right? Mm-hmm. Allocating resources to 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 folks who can go in there um, to do what we're sent to do, but without sort of uh, with the um, if I have to. I can. I need to kill you. Mindset, right? Because we're on the edge. We don't know what we're dealing with, right? right? And the person sending a police officer into a situation where they are now in harm's way, my reaction would be totally different from yours, right? And so let's just say you were a a psychologist or a nurse or a teacher in a prison system, and the and, and these prisoners become unruly and they're out of control and they're yelling. You're and you're you know. You're in there to teach, you're in there to do a job, uh, but then it goes south. Your reaction, what you do is call for the guard because that's what their job is, right? They're there to you know, uh, calm these people down, to, to put them, uh, sort of um, detain them and, and separate it and cut off the confusion. So if you take that whole thing, perception out, uh, well, not perception, but if you take that whole analogy and now make it a police officer going into a home like we're, we're, we're wrapped up in one to sort of be the mediator and at the same time the disciplinary and everything else and it's just not fair and I'll tell you right now every police officer in my department in other towns what people are saying as far as defunding the police and their meaning of you know sending a psychologist or a counselor we believe that why am I going to a house where a mother is calling because her 10 year old refuses to listen in her home, why am I going to a person who is a schizophrenia, is having um, thoughts of suicide? Why am I going there if you, and that's just one of many. Yeah. So, uh, and I'll tell you why we're at this point, because those, those same people who were saying to fund the police, these same lawmakers didn't put the money where it needed to be to do those jobs. Mm-hmm. And then those people that were doing those jobs couldn't handle those jobs. So what was the easy thing to do? Again, throw it on the police officers. Throw it on the police officers. I'm not a marriage counselor, but I'm responding to domestics and other things. Uh, thankfully, I am a parent, which I think is the best thing in the entire world. Uh, so when I go to calls dealing with children, I absolutely love it because it's it means a lot more to me. Um, but at the end of the day, again, we're not those people. Right? We don't have a degree in a lot, and if you do, good for you. But for the most part, uh, we don't. And so a lot of times we find ourselves shooting for the hip. And then when the situation um, goes south, our mindset triggers too, right? So now we're going in a di- different directions. Now what we try to, to, to mediate or try to uh, control uh, by way of just communicating and calming the situation down, if it escalates to the point to where now we're afraid, game over, right? It changes things. And that's what people don't understand. The, the fact of the matter is if the situation goes beyond our scope um, of, of mediating things um, and, then, and, and then we're sort of finding ourselves um, having to protect ourselves, it changes. Yeah. And, and the result would be... Um, it, seems, it seems like it... Uh... And maybe this is too much to ask, I guess, of 
I'm sure it would be ex- extreme ex- expenditure, but something like a domestic violence call, it seems like it would be warranted for the police to go because those could turn south pretty bad, you know, especially right. if there's if right. the homeowners have guns and it's a, you know, husband that's really, um, I'm just assuming it's a husband, but, um, you yeah, know. Yeah, noticed that you said husband. <laughs> well, it usually is, right? But, like, that that's the kind of thing where, like, yes, maybe a, a therapist, a, somebody goes with you, but you are the second line of defense kind of thing. But, you know, my uncle has schizophrenia, and I can tell you right now, he, he has it very well managed, but I can tell you right now, if he was going through some sort of episode, the police would escalate it because he is terrified. He is paranoid schizophrenia. He cop cars drive by his house. He calls my dad being like, I just saw a cop car drive by my house. Do you think that they're looking for me? Like, and he is very well managed paranoid schizophrenia, but like, so I can see where there would be some cases where it might not be a good idea for police to go. But I think in most cases, you know that you you don't. And I think in most cases it would make sense for a professional and whatever, you know, if it's suicide, if it's something like a professional to go, but have the police go as well for security, because I I can, I, I don't know that I would want. I am very compassionate. I'm a helper. I have thought about being a therapist in my life. And, you know, Kristen and I are both life coaches. And that doesn't by any means make us um, a healthcare professional the way that therapists are. But, like, I, I would love to go in and, and mediate and try to help people. But I think I would feel more, I mean, maybe that's my personal opinion. I, I think I would feel safer and more empowered to do it and do it effectively if I knew that if it really hit the fan, I've got somebody to protect me because I sure as hell can't protect myself. Like, somebody broke into my house right now, I'd be screwed. <laughs> right. And, and so I'll tell you, the department I work for, we do have agencies that go out to these calls and we are on standby. So we, we give them one of our radios. Uh, they respond to deal with some of those patients mm. that are embedded in the community. Mm-hmm. And, um, and they sort of well they will call us if the patient becomes hostile or aggressive and mm-hmm. then we'll show up to handle that part and that's just sort of to protect them not use force that's you know obviously a last resort um but i mean we're not uh, it's a tough question it's a big question it, it is it, it is and so when we're, we're there i mean it changes things like you you calling us what I don't think Americans realize that you're calling the government into your life, right? You're allowing the government into your life by calling 911. You're basically saying we no longer can control the situation. So we need you government to come in and help us resolve the situation. And so in our training, in our perspective, when trying to do that, we have a mission, right? And so I think for sometimes, um, when we're going like this, if it starts getting like this, that's when different sort of trainings and events happen. Um, and that's when things can go south. Um, I'm curious. I'm curious a little but, bit about your training. Like, so it kind of, we kind of touched on, on it a little bit and you just said the word and I, I don't know. I know as a teacher, we are um, encouraged to seek our own professional development as well as being given professional development um, like there's early release days and our, the teachers stay, there's staff meetings and, and so on. Um, I will speak about my personal experience. I don't think that 
the professional development is always relative to me as a French teacher. It's usually more the core subjects, um, reading, writing. Can I apply it? Sure. Is it a stretch? Yes. But I'm curious about police and the development or the professional um, professional services or like what extra things are you able to learn? How often are you able to learn them? Are they in person? Are they effective? Do you feel that they're relevant to you? Um, is that something that is a continuous process once you become a police officer? That's a good question. Uh, and there is. Um, so we have online training every month, um, refresher courses, whatever updated laws uh, that need to be implemented, things that have been taking out, um, things that we were doing that we should stop doing. So there's constant updates uh, and that we, we do get training um, uh, uh, shooting. Uh, the department I work for um, has sort of this ascent decree where they every quarter have to shoot uh, because of an incident that occurred uh, probably I think in the 60s or so. Uh, generally, a department uh, just only needs to qualify once a year. My particular department um, has to qualify four times. And so not, one, not wanting to compare my department with other departments within this state, uh, training ranges is from, from various uh, avenues. Uh, and, and I don't know what other officers or, or police departments, I'm sorry, uh, train for, but we, we just sort of, I think we all get the same sort of training at the academy. Whatever police department that's big enough to have their own academy, the curriculum is set by the Connecticut Police um, Academy, right? So that's, they set the guidelines, that's a group of chiefs and some, some citizens, some attorneys, and all these people, and they come up with the curriculum and that's taught. So we all are taught the same thing. However, that varies from state to state. Right. Even from Massachusetts to New York to whatever, Rhode Island, right? We all have different ways and different training in regards to how we deal with people. Mm -hmm. some, of it, some of it is pretty basic, for the most part, it's all the same. Um, uh, but a lot of it is, even the way we talk codes, right? Um, uh, maneuvers, you know, um, I can tell you the state police, um, uh, they can go on the highway and they can maybe hit a car to stop them. I can tell you my department, we can't, right? So it, it varies uh, across the board. And I think um, there's some of the things that people don't, don't know and understand. So when they see these, uh, what's so-called police, I shouldn't say so-called, because there's a lot of it. It can't be police brutality. Uh, some departments can do things different than others. And, and we like, and people sort of like to lump us all together. And that's not the case. Mm -hmm. So like we practice yoga at one particular yoga studio and there are different styles we know of yoga. Uh, but when you talk about yoga, you know, <clears throat> Everyone was sort of thinking, well, you all do that. You go, no, 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 no. It's all on the yoga. We don't do that sort of. We call style. it rock star. You call it fallen triangle. Right, right. <laughs> They're the same pose. <laughs> it's pretty much the same thing. So, um, uh, but it was something thing that you said earlier, um, being a representative of, of enforcing the law. And I looked as a Marine, a combat Marine servant in Iraq. And I thought about, like, we didn't start this war, right? We don't, we don't really, we're not part of why our decision-making to go to war, but we are 
going because we were sent by our country to do so. But those people in that foreign land, they look at us as the enemy, right? Mm -hmm. So here's the laws right now that, uh, let's take it back to the local level uh, and then state level. They pass, we enforce. On a federal level, um, you send your military to a different country, uh, uh, the natives there, they don't look sort of as what your laws are to do. They're looking at you and what you're doing. Right. Not realizing we're allowed to do this. And so, but we're the enemy. And anywhere else, you're going to protect your land. If China was invading the United States, we're going to protect ourselves. Right. Just so when I can see that when I go to a foreign land, they're going to do the same thing any foreign blood American would do. Protect their assets and their family. Right. So. Right. Can you can you talk a little bit about, you know, the current climate? And I guess, is there a conflict for you? Do you feel conflict being a police officer and being a black man? And those are two identities that you have. And they are, I'm sure, sometimes one and the same. And maybe it feels like sometimes they are two very different things. And I just, I don't know if there's any truth to that or if you could speak to that. That's a lot, and I throw some stuff in. So for me, right, I, I can tell you I experienced racism, and it in a harsh, in the harshest way you can possibly imagine. As a, as a teenager, going to South Carolina from the north, New Haven, Connecticut, and so again, I was born in South Carolina. Lots of family down there, so. You know, we're down there, uh, excuse me, we can be considered black rednecks. So I can get really country. A lot of people don't know that about me. Like I, like people in Connecticut, like I'm, my family, they're on that level of country. So when I see people up here acting Southern, like I know, like, get out, stop it, <laughs> stop, right? So uh, yeah, pigs, farms, the whole nine yards, pickups, drive, like burning trash in the yard, country, rural. <laughs> um, so I unfortunately had an experience visiting, going uh, South Carolina, uh, experiencing extreme racism, uh, where the police were called. Uh, we were out in town, and it was it was, it was like it changed. My, like I was just blown away because I've never experienced this. You know, I'm in Connecticut. You know, everything's cool, and you know, I got white folks here, black folks, Puerto Ricans. So you know, I've never saw. It, so I'm here in the South. Uh, now I'm older. I think I was like 12 or 13. Um, and it just blew my mind. I just, and I completely thought about white people. Totally different. Totally different. Um, and I never had an outlet to ever express that. Mm. Uh, no one, I remember that night, my uncle and I, my cousins and I were, came back to the house and then we're sitting out there talking and we were so mad, so angry. Just felt it. It's completely victimized, if you will. I, I won't go into details of what was said and mm -hmm. the threats that were made, but I'll tell you, if you can just paint a picture being surrounded as a 13-year-old boy with carloads of white men threatened to hang you, you're like, what? what is going on? And, I, and you would thought it was something like a movie. Mm -hmm. So I experienced that firsthand. 
and it, it really scarred uh, my perception of white folks. Yeah. So when I then dealt with white people, I will listen to what they say and how they said it to determine if they were racist, if they were like those people I encountered way back when I was a teenager. And so for me, if you emulated or said something that represented or was remotely close to the things that they said and did, for me, you were a racist. I had nothing to do with you. And it didn't stop there. I was angry with you. I wanted to fight you. Now, here's my way of getting out what I felt. I want to fight you now. Um, now, I'm not surrounded by 30 or so white folks uh, and with pickups and saying a whole bunch of stuff. I'm here. We're here. And, I, and my first experience was high school, coming back. And now I'm in high school. And you know, I went to a high school. It was pretty diverse. And had some white folks there. And some things were said. And nothing to that level. But I had that pent up frustration, mm. that hurt that was there. No one really ever um, knew about, right? Mm. Um, and that was a, that was an outlet for me to just lose my stuff, if you will, on that particular person. Just my thing, like Jesus Christ, what did I say, right? So um, when we talk about the current climate, like I understand it so much so. So like right now, for some people, they can say, Chris, you're contradicting yourself. Because right now, I don't necessarily consider myself a black man. Why I consider myself a black man is because you tell me that I am. You put me in this what's called a black man box, right? And so because of that, now I need to know when you are considering me as a black man, not a human being, what you consider a black man is, mm. right? And then I unfortunately inherit whatever the struggles when you start boxing people. and so. For me, like everything that's going on doesn't affect me because I don't necessarily look at it on that level. I'm so open-minded and I so understand what's happening on all levels that it's just, I breathe through it and just pray that people will understand we're one. We're so one that it's, it's, it's so crazy. Like we may do it differently, but we're doing the same thing. We want the same things. There's people that have an agenda that wish to separate us and cause chaos. Uh, and you sort of have to recognize it. And, and certain people just don't, and they don't want to. Uh, and I think a lot of it um, comes down to diversity. Uh, if you don't have diversity, I, this is my thought on a lot of it. So if there's no diversity in your circle, you're probably more unlikely to fall and go with the stereotypes because you don't have any firsthand knowledge. You don't know. So you're going to think what you've been told and what you see on television or whatever the case may be uh, is the case. And I'm going to reveal something very personal. And I hope this doesn't, this is not how I feel now. But just to make a point, and I'll be completely honest. So I grew up homophobic. Right? So in the black community, if you were gay, you were like the devil, you were really evil. Like you sort of were taught that. Like my mother didn't say that. Like it was just like, that's what people just said on the streets, in the neighborhoods. Like someone, a, a male who act like a female, you know, that was someone you had to beat up, right? And so it wasn't generally around us when you saw it, it was thought of as a negative. So when I came an adult and had gay friends, gay and lesbian friends, because now I know firsthand, oh my God, how dare I, you know, how the hell did I think that? Because there, there was no firsthand knowledge or experience 
to break up the, 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 the nonsense that's happening and uh, uh, people's perception. Um, because if you don't experience firsthand, you're really just gonna go off what you see or what other people say. If you've never met me and you heard something, read something, you would generally believe that until you meet me, you go, oh, he's not that way at all, or she's not that way at all, or that town really isn't that bad. But it could be based on whatever happened at that particular time, and you don't know everything as to why people do it. Um, we will we'll, we'll stay divided. Mm-hmm. So for me, this current climate, I'm sitting back and I, I, I look at both sides, and I think what bothers me most are those who are in denial of why we're at this point. Well, black folks and people being angry. And I, I use this illustration, if that's the right word, with the circus elephant. Uh, and so you have this circus elephant, and they put this elephant on a chain, and it tried to move, and it couldn't go anywhere. And so you will whip and beat the hell out of this elephant to train them to where you want them. And then this elephant, now, once the chain is removed, he's on a rope. All the pain and suffering, him on that chain, which he recalls, he doesn't believe now that this rope is no longer that chain that he has the ability to move forward and advance and he can leave. And I hate to liken black folks to an elephant, but when you've been sort of kept in a certain way and treated a certain way, uh, and now it sort of has loosened or not to that level, the pain, the suffering, the hurt is already there. It's been passed down from generation to generation. Like, you know, people who had it good, who were told, you know, you're gonna go to college and this and that. And you have folks who say, just get through school, let alone try to go to college and do, just just survive, right? So it's so different. Um, so, because I'm aware of this, when people start talking, I go, it's, 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 it's so crazy how people say, you know, you don't, because you don't see a white only or black only sign, all of a sudden racism and all that stuff that people endure never happened. Mm. Like you look at right now, well, you have the opportunity to go to college, you have the opportunity to go to school, you have the opportunity to be whatever. And you go, do I really? No? Right, right. Because in your circle and what you were raised by, it's like the same thing like we know there's family trauma right like it's it's fact it's fact that if a child is molested they'll probably grow up and be in the same circle like that trauma will keep going forward in a family and we can as white people accept that very easily yep i mean well it's not acceptable behavior don't don't want to confuse anybody but right. we're willing to admit that and say, yeah, like it happened to me because it happened to that person and that person, and that person, right? Um, three generations in a row, whatever it is. It happened to black people for 450 right. years, right? Yes. Um, yes. But something that you said, and I just don't want to be confused in, in my brain, and, and if I'm thinking this, maybe someone listening might be thinking this, is what I heard you say was sort of like, you know, you don't want to be considered this black man in a box. Like you don't. It almost sounded like he said, don't see me just for that. Like, see me for all of me, which is important. But I will just want to make sure, like, it's seeing you is also seeing that you are black, right? Like, that you have this culture, that you do have this inherent trauma. Like, is that what you want to see is or not? Are you trying to break free of that? And that's what you're trying to say. That's... 
That, that's so good because that's a difficult question to really answer, right? Uh, and this is why I would say, people say, Christian, contradict yourself. What are you saying? Like, what, what do you mean? Um, so I can see myself as a spirit, right? Um, having a human experience and I'm down here and I'm just, just a human, just treat me the same. But because everyone does not think on my level, you're going to put me, despite what I think of myself, where I'm at, you're going to say, um, no, you're a black man. Uh, and as a black man, you unfortunately probably went through these things. Maybe you did or you didn't. Uh, and or uh, you think just when you don't, uh, whatever the case may be, you probably, you know, and all the stereotypes that go with it. So you find yourself, if you subscribe to that, having to deal with that, if that makes any sense. There are folks, um, here's where the confusion comes in for me when I try to explain this. So I believe in the laws of attraction, things of that matter. Yeah, yeah. And so what I explain to people, does racism exist as alive and well? Yes. But I believe if you focus on the mistreatment and everything that comes out of it, like minus the fact if you're physically being affected by it, I get that. But I think a lot of it can be a mindset, right? Because we do know no one's sincerely, I don't know this for a fact, but no one's, let's just say right now, hypothetically, no one's in bondage, right? There's there's no one who's not afforded to, to get an education or excel or to do whatever. Uh, so it becomes, well, where does the racism really, really come into play now? Um, because if I were to be honest with you, that this whole BLM thing is different for me, right? My attitude is, is, do black people know that black lives matter? Because at the end of the day, am I my brother's keeper? It starts in the home, right? In the community, and it builds up. So from all of my experiences through racism, and I went through a time in my life where I was very vocal about racism. I had a lot of white friends, and then I was sort of afraid to offend my white friends because they didn't treat me in a negative way. They loved me like a brother, and we were tight. My best friend right now is a white guy, right? I have biracial children. I have bi I have white family members. So, there was a time I went through that because it was thrown in my face, mm. right? And so how do you react to something? It's, it's like saying uh, the sky is blue, uh, but you're telling me it's black and you're throwing it in my face. This is a bad example. Uh, but what, basically what I'm trying to say is uh, I'm not necessarily living the life that you consider be a black life for someone who's uh, uh, someone who thinks uh, black folks should live or where they should go, where they should eat, how they should sound, or how you know what I mean, like how they should dress. Uh, because I may not fit your stereotypical black man mode. Uh, you put me into it where I have to sort of defend it now, mm -hmm. and and that's how I sort of get thrown back in, or any person for that matter, uh, whatever honestly your nationality is, what someone may perceive. 
how you should be if you're Spanish or you're from Russia and you're supposed to talk this way, you're supposed to drink vodka. Mm-hmm. If you're Polish, you're not that smart. If you're Italian, you're supposed to do this, right? These stereotypes, they throw this in you. Oh, you don't know how to make pasta, you're from Italy, you know what I mean? It's like, what? That's why I'm a, I'm an American, like I'm a born blooded American, whatever, whatever the case may be. I, can, I Okay, my ancestors may be from, Italy, uh, from Italy, whatever the case may be. And they're looking at you for all of these things that they've heard about and what they think about you. And that's the same what happens to black folks. Right, so I can say again, I'm a human being, but because of what you perceive black folks to be and what we endure, which is, and I get it, I, I get all of it. It's thrown on my face that I find myself having to, to defend that. Yeah. I said a lot, but I hope it, I mean, it, it lands. I think it, I mean, it lands for me. Yeah. I, it was making me think about, I mean, and I've, I've mentioned this before, it's just like the most. I think obvious example that I can think of that I can use from my own experience and and use it to feel empathy um, and feel for other people um, and when it comes to racism that you know I have I, I have issues with men like that's a problem that I've had to work through that I don't trust men I it's you know it's very I'm, I'm I can be hypersensitive to men making any sort of innuendos, comments, like, oh, uh, just anything, I can be hypersensitive to it. And I can think of a couple instances. Never mind, go ahead. What? Like, guys, she's single. I, that was terrible time oh, for me to God, joke. We're no. going to cut that out. Just, <laughs> we're cutting that out. Um, but I can think of a couple times where, you know, the most recent one was, I, you know, I went on a date and this past winter or even another one I was I I was out I was out with my friends at a bar and um and a a regular customer at my coffee shop I ran into him and and he was kind of talking to me asking me about my love life and we were talking and and he's super jaded and he had a really bad you know former relationship and he said you know I think I think women treat men worse than men treat women and I was like oh that is like and I got pissed because I was like that is so wrong like you're the implement the implications of a like I just kind of went on this tangent and we got into an argument and I was angry and I I was used it was like all of that aggression that I had towards men that have mistreated people that I love and mistreated me I was taking out on this person misplaced misplaced aggression and it did not land on him at he was not hearing me it the conversation went nowhere where like now I I I do look at it a little differently where if it comes up like I try to kind of keep a level head about it and go more from a place of we are human and any and there are a lot of really amazing men out there and if i had a male to come into my life that i care about that was asking me about women being raped and abused and and sexually harassed by men i would talk to them about it but not raise my voice and get angry and there's a way to talk about it and it's not i guess i guess the way i'm trying to uh, how i've that's kind of been my example for me to use to think about current current events and communicating and talking to people is like it's a scary thing to talk about like i can imagine for a man to come up to me and ask me about women being the mistreatment that women receive from men they it's a vulnerable scary thing to ask so these are like vulnerable scary conversations that everybody is having more and more of right now for uh, talking about systemic racism racism talking about police brutality talking about the current you know civil rights movement that's happening right now it's it's 
it's tough and it's hard to, I'm sure it's hard for a lot of people to not like take it on as, as a huge part of their identity. And it's kind of seems like, I don't know where I'm going with this, honestly. Like, do, am I making any sense? Makes plenty of sense. You're, you're like you, something I've learned from YTT, um, the thought of putting a story behind things that's just so common. Like, so someone opens the door for you and a story will be, or someone asks you out or wants to do something for you and you immediately bring up your trauma or your experiences and the way they're doing it. Um, and you, you put that story onto it and then from there, now everything else is just, it, it's like a, an avalanche. Like it mm-hmm. just builds up and just goes downhill from there. When we just need to look at things for what they are. Mm-hmm. And, and and that sort of attached a story to it. Uh, like, um, like the officer in Washington was wrong, right? If you try to defend him and you're a police officer, I think of you a POS, right? Which there's nothing I can say to you. I want nothing to do with you. I don't know one cop that will say what that officer did was right. So when you look at that one situation, uh, you go, okay, he's arrested, he's going to jail, we're moving on. But they didn't stop there. And so how did that one snowball become this huge avalanche to where it's just right now pouring out in the streets and protesting goes to rioting? So like, how did that get to where we are now? And now we're all talking about it. And I'll tell you why. For me, because we attach the story to it. We attach that black man, that black family, having to deal with this for so long. Instead of looking at George Floyd's situation for what it was, we attached everything else to it. And because of that, everything comes with it. And now it's coming hard. Yeah. And that's what we tend to do. Um, and that's one thing I've learned from YTPT. It's to sort of just look at, and that's yoga teacher training for those who are not yogis. Yeah. Like, to, to sort of look at your experience just for what it is. And that's the ability to be present, too. Yeah. So, in order to do that, you need to be present. You need to be there in a conversation. You need to have the focus there. And when you're all over the place uh, and you're not sort of present in your body, that's when all this other stuff can happen. Um, and we're, as you can see, we're going sort of south right now. From from time to time, something comes up that I think is, like, really important to, like, kind of share as an exercise. And something that's coming up right now is, like, something that we have, you both have talked about right here. And that's that idea of trauma or a lie, right? Like, a lie that we tell ourselves, mm-hmm. you know. And, and I encourage our audience right now you know, take out your journal, take out your pen, whatever it is, and start journaling down, writing down, like, traumas, things that are traumatic for you, problems that you have. Um, I'm going to, I hope this is okay to divulge, but, like, Dana and her mom had in, a disagreement over pod, podcasting equipment because we share the equipment. And, like, when we started setting it up today, I was like, how are things with your mom? Like, what's going on? And And the reality was that it was something that wasn't podcasting equipment. It was something else. And the great thing is, like, Katie was on on our episode or on the podcast before, so we all know what she does for work. Dana, you know, as a yoga teacher and also life coach, like, 
they were able to separate their emotions and get to the root of what is the actual thing that's really hurting us right now. And I think all of us, that event, those images, number one, I think the fact that the entire from breath to death was on video. The people urging, I have chills all over my body, the people urging the officer to stop you can't ignore it. And I think that people had traumas deep in them. They didn't realize they had. Mm-hmm. And seeing that is stirring up so much in every realm. To I, I have lots of friends whose um, husbands are officers. And I'm seeing them like, blue lives, blue lives. Like my, my, my husband's a good guy and he is a good guy. I'm sure he's a great guy. I'm sure he's a great cop. I'm a police officer. I don't know what the correct vernacular is right now. I'm trying to be very respectful, but every person, no matter what pedestal we put that person on has something in their closet, some hurt, some pain. So as we listen, as people are listening, I really hope that you take, take, you know, pause, pause this, keep going in a minute, but like write down your traumas, write down your lie. Like for me, it was really my lie. Like I'm not valuable and it showed up everywhere. Like I would, I would believe that lie that I wasn't valuable so much. This is crazy because it's actually legitimately happened. You know, doors that automatically open for you when you go like to the grocery store literally didn't open for me. I would stand there. And I would look and it would be an awkwardly long 10 or 12 seconds. Like they didn't automatically open for me because I believed I wasn't a valuable human being. So somewhere in that, and I share that for our listeners to be like, whoa, like, wow, that's, that's an interesting, that's a law of attraction. Exactly. Like you were saying, Chris, and it's something that not to dismiss pain, not to take away from what has, what is fact, what is real for people. But it is a question that's come up for me, and I really don't mean any disrespect, but if if we look at the hurt and we want to be hurt, we will. Absolutely. Right. So, and not to say that there are not systems in place, laws that are in place that have been written by people that are not the laws they're being protected, right? Like they don't, they don't really um, translate well. Um, to the people that, are, that write them versus the people. Like, I think about a school system. Everything comes from a superintendent who hasn't been in a classroom maybe even ever, and they're telling me how to run my classroom, and they're not there every day. It must, doesn't make any sense. It's sort of like the government making these laws. Like Some of them make sense, you know, like, you know, don't steal, because then we're going to come get you and like <laughs> put you away in jail for whatever the, you know, the crime and the punishment should match up, and all that, but I just think it's very interesting. So I just wanted to bring that like little exercise for our audience because we're all about following the path, following the conversation, and also trying to help people grow and, and change and, and, you know, maybe release some stuff mm-hmm. that they need to release too. So it's very interesting that it came up for all of us, yeah. honestly. Yeah, I, I it made me think about for you, Chris, like what do you think are the lies people, people – tell themselves or spread about policing lies about what as a police officer or yeah just in general like i i i'm thinking about conversations i've had with cops i've known and 
some of their frustrations, feeling like they're very misunderstood, feeling like they're they're not heard and feeling like they're, I mean, you kind of touched on it earlier talking about how, you know, people just need to remember that you, you are human beings and you have emotions and, you know, um, can you think of any examples where it's like, you feel like people maybe box you, box the police in ways that are untrue? Uh, I think this, um, this idea that there's quotas mm-hmm. that we have to meet. I can tell you from my department. So there's this thing that's called asset forfeiture, if you will. And smaller departments, uh, they can really sort of benefit from it. Uh, and that's obviously from tickets, the amount of proactive work that you do things that are seized uh, from investigations, uh, you know, from the drug money that's seized or whatever, uh, things that come out of that. Uh, you know, there's a percentage that a lot of these departments, they get sort of a cut of the money, right? So it's called like asset forfeiture and all that stuff. So, so people tend to believe that we go out there to write these tickets so it can fund things that we want. Right. They go out there and, and, they, and they believe that that we have a quota to arrest them. Um, we, we have tons of discretion on a lot of things, but um, domestic violence and things of that nature, we do not have discretion on. But one thing. What do you can you explain? Can you explain that for people like domestic violence is one where you have to arrest. Right. That's a right. that's a Connecticut mandate. Right. It is, and that's uh, due to the case uh, that happened up in Torrance, Connecticut. Um, I cannot recall her name. <laughs> Tracy Thurman. I believe that's her name. So Tracy Thurman was a woman who lived in Torrance, Connecticut, and her husband would just like beat the living crap out of her. And the police would respond, and they knew, and said, oh, you know, nothing's happening. Uh, she just, you know how she is. She's a woman, you know downplaying the situation. Like, I, or whatever the guy name was, I don't know. It's like, all right, Bruce, you know, just calm it down. You know, I just had a few bears. She's just tripping, right? You know? And they, they knew each other. It's like, all right, cool, right? And so they'll see Tracy and she'd sort of, you know, either be messed up or not wanting to talk and they wouldn't take it further than talking to the husband. And so it came to the point where if it was a domestic call, um, that you had to take action. Because he ended up beating her Dag on there to her deathbed. And so that changed the entire landscape of how you respond to a domestic violence call. But then, here was the tricky part. It went too far, to the left or to the right, whichever you stand out, to where you two are roommates. So they had to redefine domestic violence, or domestics, right? Because at one point it was either a spouse or a person you had a child with, or roommates, siblings, uncles or aunts, like, let's consider a true domestic, right? My aunt comes over, she gets drunk at the party, and she gets, and we start arguing, and the cops come over, and because we were related, it's blood, it's domestic, right? So, everyone was pretty much going to jail, <laughs> and, and they really, so they recently changed the laws where, like, college students, or uh, just people who are roommates, right, based on the relationship of being not necessarily blood, but having some sort of relationship was sort of under this umbrella of domestic. 
and they realized, ooh, this is not working. And and on t- what was worse than that it, is the fact that the matter is, listen, folks can argue. Kristen, Dana, you guys can have an argument. There's nothing against the law to argument, to argue. Like you can have a disagreement. So the government shows up. Here I am, this government agent, right, representing the laws. Um, and you're arguing. Why am I to take the action to say that because you're raising your voice and because someone else who heard you that you guys are a threat to one another? that you need to now stand before the man for your actions. So domestics were just so far to the left or to right, whichever, uh, however you view them, that we needed to, to straighten it out. We needed to be more concrete with these things. Um, so an argument sort of changed from just domestic violence to now a domestic dispute. Mm-hmm. Right? You need to have clear, clear cut, uh, complete and mutual understanding of if there was a threat, if it was expressed or articulated, if you will, um, uh, and it fit, you know, having probable cause to make the arrest. Um, it's what we generally do as police officers. We look at the liability. If I'm re- responding to you two, like you guys are together, let's just say you're lovers, like to make it easier, and uh, you guys are just arguing. I don't know what really happened. You have a story, Dana, Kristen, you have a story, but we do know some sort of argument took place and the people upstairs heard it or downstairs or whatever. It was that loud. So we were gonna say, you caused an inconvenience, annoyance and alarm to this person to where someone had to call the police. So now I respond, you guys are calm, cool, and you're still hot about it. I go, I'm not going to leave here and you two kill one another if someone gets to the point where it continues and they harm or you hurt or you cause death or whatever to the other person that we're going to say just because you guys are arguing about the bills because Danny, you bought, you charged a car up and Chris is like, we're trying to save money. You're going to stop with this. Like, what are you doing? Like, that's like a legitimate argument, right? Like, you, you This happens all the time. <laughs> That's what, right, here, here I am, you're arguing, okay, you might be on your back because you're not agreeing, and I take you both to jail. Yeah, and it's, yeah it's a little extreme. What? Yeah. What am I, what, and, and, and our thing was, well, I'm not going to be held liable. Uh, if you, if you leave and she kills me. Absolutely. Right. So then it came to the point, and then it, it got to the point, excuse me, well, we would show up to a domestic, everyone went to jail. Yeah. And you have all these people standing in court and standing before the man. And I was like, you know what? We got to fix this. Folks. <laughs> we got to do something about this. We need to identify who the aggressor is. Mm. And if there's a sincere threat right. to that person's life. Right, right, right. Um, and then we needed to sort of see, you know, if there wasn't anything there, but we were called there, we'll just document for the fact that we were there. It comes in again and it's consistent and there's a pattern. Okay, something needs to happen. You got to sort of take some sort of action. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, um, but a lot of it's, it's shaming. I forgot what the actual 
we were asking about well i know there are some laws that people are you know asking to or some oh, some yeah, policy yeah. changes that people want that maybe some are already in place um right. that and people don't realize the domestic policy change um that, that's a big thing that had to change so we would respond and we would arrest everyone <laughs> right? we wouldn't even well, we know you guys both are, we both are saying this, so we don't know who's the aggressor or not, so we'll take you both to jail. And because it was a liability issue that we were afraid of. Right. And we just, you know, took your word that it was just something small about a charge card. And then it escalated to the point where we're coming back and, Danny, you're knocked the hell out with the broomstick. <laughs> it's way too much, right? Kristen is tough. <laughs> I honestly, I feel like, I think Kristen would win in a fight. I think she would. <laughs> I have no comment on any of this. She's pretty tough. Yeah. I don't know. She is a Reiki healer, though. So I don't... Um, oh gosh, um, she took a turn. <laughs> I have I have three older brothers. Okay, so where I came from and where where I am now are two totally different places. All right, we can all learn and grow and change. <laughs> For the record. <laughs> And that's that's experience, right? So you've dealt with men, you sort of understand how they think, how they react. So that, that you gives you a better understanding of men along your way. You know. So. I, you know what? I'm happy you said like just better understanding because I really feel like what you were saying before, like the box, and I'm a man, and like get your circle. Like when you grew up, I was homophobic. I, you know, I. I was around a lot of racists. I could probably say I was... I think we're all racist in some degree, right? There's there's some degree of it, depending on what we're around. We'll say prejudice. Prejudice. Like everyone's sort of prejudiced, but not racist. Because racist, if you will, entitles a whole lot of other stuff. And the word has just been... It seems like it's used... The definition yeah. is, is changing. It I'm seems like the it. definition of racism is changing. That... And it's something that honestly I struggle with that that it is because of kind of what you said earlier of 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 um putting uh receiving what uh the law of attraction because of what you said earlier about the law of attraction of of are we going to keep putting out there that like everybody is racist which it maybe to some degree it is true and 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 to be quite honest, we all have biases. It's just sort of part right. of, hum- of being a human. Yes. You know, it's whether or not I think you're using them to hurt other people. Um, and and we are all part of the society. We are all part of the system that has been operating for centuries, you know. And we are all part of trying to change it. We all, you know, I think it, I think yeah, that exactly, it seems yeah. like that's where it's coming from. It's like... You are racist if you are not trying to change the current policies in a way. And it, it's almost like bad branding. I don't know. I feel like it could be branded almost better of like, uh, but but it also, we all probably need the dose of reality and the kind of splash of cold water. I, I, I think that's kind and, of like, like to, to the point of the video, right? The, the major video that comes out, unless there's something like a bright spotlight put on something, we're not going to realize what it is that, that needs fixing. So like... Uh, these so I, I'm gonna take as much as I can roll back my word because there's racist, there's bias, there's stereotype, and I am not versed enough in Webster's to be able to speak and articulate. I, I know that's like somewhat funny, but like truthfully, like I know there are varying degrees of those words. Prejudice, also, um, you said, um, but I think 
back to what I was saying is like understanding. I think we all just need to understand because it takes fear away. And when fear is taken away, then then we all can understand better, right? You know, your homo your um homophobia for me maybe prejudice when I was growing up or my you know words that right. I was told. Um, right. Now that I I work in a district where I have to understand my students and their perspective in order to actually educate them. Like, what do they need educating on? You know what I mean? Like, I, can, I know I'm there to educate them on French, like to take them. And, and to me, that's more teaching. But there's also an education piece that's extremely valuable, you know. So just me understanding them, first of all, and then hopefully they understand me. And, and like, I see it as an exchange. Like, I mean, their their job is not to teach me. But along the way, they're going to be educating and teaching me as well. You know, like who they are. I want to know who you are. I don't want to come in and just start preaching at you. That's not my job. I mean, some people might say that's my job and I should just keep my mouth quiet on, on whatever else. Like, I'm not going in there to be political, but I'm going in there to love my students. I'm going in there to treat them like my own children. That if they don't have a pencil, here's your pencil. You know what I mean? But I'll do that once. But like, then you got to start coming prepared because I have an expectation for you, right? And I, I want you to get get better at life, at being prepared. And it, yes, it's a pencil here, but it's going to be your, you know, uniform when you're on a team and it's going to be your, you know, showing up to work on time later. Like, so there's, there's a little bit of that, but it, I think it does all go back to understanding and, and getting ourselves out of ignorance of one another. It's a yeah. really, really powerful thing we can all do. It doesn't cost a dime. It doesn't cost you anything. And, and the problem is, <clears throat> With what's happening now, right? So it's to acknowledge the reality of racism and, and the systematic oppression. Where um, you were talking about your husband and his, you know, having friends who are a cop and saying blue lives matter. And uh, so for me, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I laugh at that. Like I go, how fucking, excuse okay. me, how how dare you say blue lives matter? Do we know why we are at this point that we are? Right, like, like, so I was born black and everything that came with it, right? You made a choice to become a police officer. And because of this choice, unfortunately, these are the times, right, that we're dealing with. So you either level up or resign. Right. So not mm -hmm. to acknowledge why we're at this point and why people are hurt, and to say blue lives matter and to throw up all lives matter is why we are at this point right, right now. Right. We're not practicing empathy, right? right? We're having to be empathetic and understanding and learning of one another's culture as to why we're here. White folks need to realize blacks have ingrained in their mind these 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 Martin Luther King marches where the canines are barking at people, right? And they're all over the place. And these people are protesting peacefully. So why in 2020, as a police department, would you bring a dog to deal with the protesters? Are you serious? Mm -hmm. Right? And so this is the level of ignorance to some departments. And that's why it varies across the nation. Uh, right. I think where we are, I think we're getting it right to a certain extent, and on one level, it's gonna hurt a lot of people. 
What do you mean by that? We're, we're tolerating some things that we wouldn't, right? Because police are or right. okay. like, so the police are, are tolerating a lot of dysfunction in the communities. Like, for example, uh, there's a certain city where folks sort of come and party in the streets, they drink, they drive motorcycles, dirt bikes, it's like a straight up parade. And what they want to do is, you know, they're driving, hanging out the window, music, like violating city ordinances, state statutes, a whole lot of laws are being broken. And so if the police officers were to address that, and where those police officers, they're outnumbered, it's probably realistically probably 300 to one. So if you go and address that, you're gonna find yourself having a problem. And we understand, well that police department understands that if they do that, they're being baited into a reason for these people to explode. So I would say, I would say now we're fortunate where I work that we are acknowledging what's happening, right? We're not necessarily fanning the flames. We're not, we're not poking the bear, right? Um, and I realize and the powers that be, thankfully, that they're waiting for us to do something so they can, I think, have an excuse to wow out, right? So when you're showing kindness and you're with the demonstrators or the protesters and you're marching with them, it's hard for them to get upset with you. Hmm. That's how it, really, they say to like the, um, de-escalate a bully. Oh, I don't like your hat. I think you're beautiful. Oh, your shirt is stupid. I think you're a spectacular human being. You know, like, that's actually the best way to disarm a bully. It's just, like, get, like go back to them with kindness. Yeah. We're killing. I, so I remember where, you know, I was working. We had some protesters there, these white females who clearly were not from the city I worked. And I waved at them and gave them a thumbs up. And they were angry. They wanted to think with their signs infuriate me where I can say something. They wanted to offend me to justify a reaction that I just wasn't going to give them. I understand the movement. I get it. Um, but it's totally different to accept it for me as a black person. When you talk about black lives. Right. Right. It's almost and like... A whole nother ball game. It's almost like um, when you... I, I think I think that there's a my sense from people that do that, that are poking, that want they want to get a rise out of police so that they can say, Look at how bad these police are. Um my like kind of my like gut reaction I guess to that is they're feeling muffled. I think these people are feeling muffled and that their voices aren't being heard. So they right. at any cost, they will do anything to get their voices heard. So if it means if I can piss off this cop so that I can say, look at this racist cop, look at how, look at this cop using force unjustly against me, I'm going to get my voice heard. Mm. And that's not, that does not mean that their voice is not valuable because it is, but I think what it means is that we need to find a more effective way to get those voices heard and we need to listen so that those people don't do that, right? Like, 
people do that when they're not heard and when their voices are muted. That's when they lash out. That's when they act out. And and so I think it it's really comes down to everybody else, like doing the thumbs up, doing the wave and listening, right? And and um yeah, I acknowledging it. Yeah. Right. That I think that's what when to me when I hear blue lives matter, all lives matter, you're not acknowledging in that sense mm-hmm. black lives mattering and it's not it's not necessarily that they matter it's that they haven't been equal in the law they're not saying that they're any better than they don't want any more than they just want equal so so taking that yeah acknowledging the pain that's behind that mm-hmm. and yeah there's i i can see the wives of like my friends that are on there and i see them pleading like please Please don't disrespect my husband. Please don't hurt my husband. You know, and I and I I do see that fear is real for them. I see that fear is real for them because of the climate. And yeah, it's not. To, it, I don't know. Like, yeah, I think that comes from a place of fear. That's what it is. Is it's yeah. fear and it's Same ignorance as well. It's fear, yeah, it's fear and it's ignorance. Um, not knowing what could happen in in my in why I'm using ignorance and them not knowing what could happen to their husband. I don't think it's too. I don't think it's any any less valid than a wife that is concerned about their husband that gets deployed though, right? Like I mean their their husband Absolutely. might not be part of the they they're not the decision maker in it. So I mean I can I can understand that. Yeah, like and and being removed from the political place that brought their husband from getting to getting deployed to Iraq, right? Um but I think that uh, I I think that that when it's a a wife vouching for their husband, I think that it's just you're so emotional, emotional, yeah. That and it's hard to it's very short sighted because it's hard to look when it's right here in your home. And I'm sure a lot of people can that resonates when something's happening right to somebody that you love and that's in your house. It's hard to see beyond your home because you're just kind of, you know I, it's something that just flashed in my head and, and but I, I do see how it's ridiculous you may not agree with this chris um but I, I guess to me i flash also to a black mom sending her black sons out and telling them you can't wear a hooded sweatshirt how is that any different right, than right. sending your husband out the door with a, a vest a vest on like i think that the women so my daughter who's going to a party the clothing that she may wear may attract the wrong attention yeah, at yeah. her age yeah, yeah. where she's going. Yeah. These right. are just you know, folks who love folks who are just... We all love... That's it. That's, that's, I guess that's what I'm trying to say. We all love someone enough to want to protect them. Mm-hmm. And I understand that. But understand that this group of people wants to protect their kids too. Like, we all just want to get... I think we all just want to get along. <laughs> we just need to stop using these aggressive... Um, like reactions to to someone saying I'm hurt. I need to be seen. I need you to see me. Why well, I, I matter too? Like okay, I get it. We get it. We get that you matter. Like just just listen for a second. Understand this person loves themselves. They hopefully love themselves and they love like their children and they just want goodness for them. Just like you want your husband or wife, I mean, it could be Blue Lives Matter, it could be women as well. Like, you want your husband, wife, spouse, whoever, to come home safely, so do they. But let's look at the problem, let's look at the issues together. 
mm-hmm. and listen to first of all the most oppressed in my opinion i think that's the biggest problem it's been going on for the longest amount of time right i mean it but that's a really hard thing to measure right that's a really hard thing to measure because you can say the same about native american people right they've been oppressed forever women oppressed forever you know like it's it's just it's it's we can't it's hard to do this tit for tat thing right but right now it's like the Boston bombing, that, that's what mattered the most right then, right? Right now, this is what matters the most. And I think that Good this point. is what's yeah. gonna initiate, caring a lot about this right now is gonna initiate the most amount of change so that it'll do the most exponential good for the future, hopefully, hopefully. Yeah, I, it's, you know, um, I mean, I, Maybe I'm being um, biased because I'm a police officer, though. That I wish it didn't happen under those, um, under the guise of being leasing. Like so, the disparity or the or the uh, inequality happen in education and the healthcare system and any of these departments, right? That there's a difference in terms of treatment, uh, but unfortunately, uh, police officers being out there in the community. And unfortunately, being put in a different position, it's seen. But just imagine taking a camera into a classroom, or into a hospital, or or to you know mm-hmm. fine dining somewhere in the suburbs, uh, and how you know your service was just like not good. Um, the fact that it matter is. I'm throwing white privilege, right? I'll throw that in the mix. The fact of the matter is to like to have the discussion um, is insane to me, right? Like how how do how, how do white folks deal with black folks and what's going on? And I'm like, what? Right? And so I, I I think like this. Can you guys recall the situation when a kid raped that girl? Brock uh, Turner, yeah, huh? yeah, the Stanford swimmer, yeah. Yes, right. Yeah, so he's not going to get his steak dinners now. I'm sorry. Nothing. Never mind. I'm just that was what his mother said. He's not going to get steak dinners if he goes to prison. Wow. Wow. She said that. In court. So now you take that, and it's all over the news, and, and, and now all of a sudden, fathers, right now, fathers are—I should say—fathers are the white people. This, this, this victim, this, this, this young woman uh, who was intoxicated, passed out, who this guy completely violated and legally did what he did. Like, he was dead wrong, right? And we all know he was. So now, so she represents the black people, and now the fathers are representing uh, the white folks, right, fathers. So now, what it seems like is now all the fathers are being told how to teach their daughters or or what their daughters have to go through. Like, like so I shouldn't have to have a conversation to tell my daughter that when she goes out not to get too intoxicated because someone may take advantage of me or someone may do this. Uh, the fact of the matter is if, we're ha- if we have to tell you that at this age, I mean, at this day and time, what the hell were you telling them way back when? 
You can do whatever you want. Don't consider some of these things out there. Don't think about the predators. Be kind. I, I messed that whole thought process up because I, I had something else on the brain. So it, it may not sound the way I want it uh, to. Um, but the idea is you should have already been practicing love. Right? We should have already been, as white folks, accepting and embracing and understanding. Like, it baffles me to think that you you don't know racism is a lie. You don't know they treat you different. Where are you from? Are you that naive to think that when I go in a yoga studio, when no one puts a mat beside me, the thought that comes to my head is, is it because I'm black? So you don't understand that, but I'm Fortunately, I know that because I experienced that. That's what I have to deal with. Mm -hmm. I say I'm a yoga teacher and it's an all white community. The thought could be, and I could be a sucky teacher, new, which I was and not that good at the time and everything else could say, is there, is there, are they not coming because I'm black? Mm. And my music may not, you know what I'm saying? There's a whole lot that unfortunately I have to consider that the other folks won't, which mm. then comes to the white privilege. Whereas if you just flip it around, if you're in a community of black folks, you can't speak the language, you don't need to speak the language. You be who you are of, of authenticity and love and respect, because that's what people can see mm. and recognize. That's true. If you are a loving and respectful and decent human being, people see that. And when you're not, people see that too. And I think the conversation that people are afraid to have is these things may come out and present them in a different light, that they're not respectful or that kind or thoughtful. Um, and I went a lot of different places with that. Um, but I, the, the, the argument, or, I'm sorry, the conversation about discrimination um, in the year 2020 to me is absolutely baffling. I, I'm just, I, I, like, how could you be so naive? Like, it's like, it's like sending your daughter out, 12 years old, um, in New York City, in Manhattan by herself. Right. Like you wouldn't do that. Like, okay. why wouldn't you? Like, if you did that, you know what could potentially happen with the sex trafficking and all of this stuff, right? And so, who in their right mind will send your twelve or thirteen-year-old daughter out, who's developed like a a a thirty-year-old woman out in Manhattan, Times Square, or Las Vegas, right. into the streets by herself? You would teach them the right way. You will know that this is these are the things that are out there. So, I feel that. This, if you were to flip it, if I can make sense of it, like how do you not know that these things are out there in terms of um, indifference, or not indifference, but the... the... Inequality. Right. I, I saw something the other day that really shook me, and I think I texted it to you, actually. But um, it said, it was like a, a thing that said, when a white man rapes a woman, we talk about everything he could have been. Like the Brock Turner case, right? He was he was a star swimmer. He was, you know, doing so well. He, and when a black man is killed unjustly, they look into his criminal history. Yes. 
Think about that. I'm going to say it again. When a white man rapes somebody, they talk about everything that he could have been or is about to be or was becoming. And when a black man is killed unjustly, they talk about every his they dive into his criminal history and see if he's got a criminal past and that's what they expose to the media so they basically almost say his killing was justified his yeah. murder yep. was justified he deserved it that i don't i, I don't have any words for that that's, it's the truth it is true it is the truth and I think, think about every single case. Whether it whether the cop was in the right or in the wrong, that has happened. Almost every single case of of police brutality that we've all. seen, that they and, and it and it's regardless of if the police officer was was in the right or in the wrong. Right? They always right. dive into the black person that was killed. They dive into their criminal history every single time, every single time. Like I feel like I know more about their criminal history than I do about their their. The things that matter, like the or fact that, that they're they a, been. a father. Yes, the things that they were working on, you know, the things that they wanted to do. Their that, children. And I think I, I said it here, like, you know, I have three brothers, you know, I could, I, Jane is like, oh, I think you could beat me up, but you're a Reiki healer now. Like, you know, <laughs> like we all have a past that hopefully we learn from what is the justice system set up for? What is prison set up for? To hopefully rehabilitate people. And we don't. But to ho- that's the hope, right? Don't we all hope? Like, I mean, if you had a son or a daughter, I don't care what we, color you... We, we are the system hope for. But we as individuals, because if you think about it, from take race out, period, was it ever to rehabilitate or was it punishment for the crime? So I, you know I would imagine that, well... I guess if we're magic wanding, right? Like it's, I, I think about in the very basic form, if I were to put my son in timeout, my hope is that he learns from the punishment, the consequence, right? No, it's not jail. And I understand that. But I think that the idea behind it is that you will make better choices. So this doesn't happen again, right? So you stole, you ended up in jail, you served a year, whatever it is, you know, I don't know all the legalities. You come out and the idea is that we don't do that again. That person doesn't do it again because of law enforcement, because of the law, because of the rules, right? Isn't that the hope in general? But they're traumatized oh. when they go to jail. It, yeah. You, you don't put your son in time out and then deprive him of, of food all day. True. Right. That's right. true. Those basic human rights. Like, they're lost. That, in terms of humanity, is, is, it's just not fair. Um, it's, it, when you look at other countries around the world and how they do things, you know, I mean, we got to talk about the prison system, how it's, you know, the profiting, the slave labor, like literally that's going mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I can tell you, um, so even as a police officer, I see things, I go, what? Like, I can see smaller towns, let's just say around an inner city city, patrol more on the city line versus in their small town. Mm. On that city line, your minorities made up of, you know, blacks, Hispanics or whatever. And obviously in that suburban town where they're like 90% white folks, you're not placing up there. 
you're placing on the line. So is are you saying more crime is here? Or is it the fact that what you give more attention to right. is sort of going to be the deal? What you right. focus on grows, the law of attraction. There you go. Right, right, right. So are we saying crime is not being committed in the suburbs? Like you would think, like... It goes unreported. I remember this conversation between my the person I purchased my home from, or that we, my husband and I, purchased our home from in South Windsor, Connecticut. And she was telling me, oh, this crime happened over there. This person got shot over here. This person that... And I'm like, well, great. I'm glad I just bought your home. This is awesome. I'm hearing of all these things right now. And she goes, but you'll never hear about it because they never put it in the paper. Yeah. Um, you know, well, people will talk about nothing happening in, in a, in wealthy towns. Right. But shit still happens and, and people are still not good people. And there's, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm aware of that town that you mentioned, um, of people coming from that town, going to certain, certain city by heroin to bring back to their town. Like there's a lot of drugs in smaller towns that are sort of that are out there and, and no one really really wants to talk about a lot of that right. Um, all right you guys that's it for part one stay tuned for part two we are going to be releasing that next week we hope that you will tune in and send us over any questions or comments anything you've got we're on instagram facebook we've got a website The whole nine yards, we are following the podcast. We look forward to hearing from you.